This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day and welcome to episode 15. It is Saturday the 13th of July 2019 and I'm your host Matt Graham. Coming up in today's episode, award travel consultant James Green joins me to explain how you can fly around the world using your Qantas Frequent Flyer points thanks to the One World Award and how to redeem Alaska Airlines mileage plan miles to fly from Australia to the United States in business class. That's coming up later in the episode. First, let's take a look at what's making news on Australian Frequent Flyer this fortnight. And Singapore Airlines will upgrade all of its lounges in Terminal 3 of Singapore's Changi Airport starting from next month. This includes the Chris Fly Gold Lounge, which will finally have toilets and showers once upgraded. This is the lounge where Velocity Gold and Platinum members, as well as Star Alliance Gold frequent flyers, are sent when departing Singapore in Singapore Airlines economy class. The refurbishments begin at the start of next month. The ACCC has granted interim approval for Virgin Australia and Virgin Atlantic to forge a closer reliance on services between Australia and the UK. The announcement paves the way for the two airlines to create a more seamless experience for passengers travelling from Australia to London via Hong Kong. A final decision on the alliance is expected in November, but it's unlikely that this is going to be rejected. Velocity Frequent Flyer will end its partnership with OpenTable, a restaurant booking platform, from the 20th of July. After this date, you'll no longer be able to earn 300 Velocity points for each reservation made at participating restaurants. Meanwhile, Qantas Frequent Fly will end its partnership with the Rockpool Dining Group from the 15th of August. This means that there'll be no more earning or redeeming of Qantas points at Rockpool Group restaurants such as the Bavarian, Burger Project and Spice Temple. Virgin Australia is currently offering 10,000 bonus velocity points for new round-trip bookings on Virgin or Delta to Los Angeles. You'll need to register for this promotion before booking and the offer ends on the 28th of July. The Reef Lounge in the International Terminal of Cannes Airport will close at the end of this month. The lounge is used by Cathay Pacific, which is withdrawing from Cannes as well in October, and it's also participating in the Priority Pass program. New federal government regulations requiring security screening at regional airports for flights with more than 40 passengers could make some regional air routes unviable. The government will pay for the installation of new security screening equipment in regional airports, but the airport operators themselves will be left to the ongoing bill for staffing the checkpoints. Many regional airports in Australia are owned by local councils who are either going to have to pass the costs on to local ratepayers or to airline passengers. Because many regional airports lack economies of scale, they only have maybe one or two flights a day, the per-passenger cost of running these security checkpoints will likely be very high. France is considering taxing or even banning domestic flights on routes where high-speed trains are an alternative. And meanwhile, the Dutch airline KLM has launched an advertising campaign that encourages people to reconsider their need to fly. Yeah, really, an airline is telling people to fly less. It's the result of an anti-flying movement that's uh, growing continuously, and it began in Sweden, and it aims to address the environmental impact of aircraft pollution. And finally, Virgin Australia has launched a new in-flight magazine this month, replacing the Voyeur magazine. The new Virgin Australia magazine is lighter, allowing the airline to reduce its fuel consumption. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news updates and deals, be sure to subscribe to the Australian Frequent Fly Gazette or follow us on Facebook. 
In this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by James Green, who is one of the award travel consultants over at Award Flight Assist. If you're not already familiar with it, Award Flight Assist is a service offered by our sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions, and it's designed to make it easy for you to redeem your frequent flyer points. Now, you may know James by his username on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, which is Jacques Vert. And in the interview with James, we're going to be talking about the Qantas One World Award, which is the popular Qantas Frequent Flyer Redemption that allows you to travel around the world with up to five stopovers for a fixed number of Qantas points. Now, before I get to the interview, I just need to mention that this particular interview was recorded last month before the Qantas Frequent Flyer changes of 20 June were announced. The good news, though, is that the One World Award is here to stay. All of the stuff we're going to be talking about hasn't changed, except for the number of points that it's going to cost you. If you're looking to book a One World Award in economy class, the good news is that since we recorded this, the price has actually decreased. It was 140,000 Qantas points, and it's now only 132,400 points. Unfortunately, the number of points required for a One World Award in premium economy business or first class is going to go up, however. Uh, although this doesn't come into effect until the 18th of September this year, which means you still have two months to take advantage of the current pricing, which is what we're discussing in the interview. But just for your information, on the 18th of September 2019, the premium economy uh, One World Award price is going to go up from 210,000 Qantas points to 249,600 Qantas points, which is you know a fairly significant increase. In business class, the price goes from 280,000 Qantas points to 318,318. And from first class, it's going from 420,000 up to 455,000 Qantas points. But apart from the number of points, everything else is the same. Um, but just keep that in mind during the interview. And without any further ado, here's the interview with James. Well, you may recall that on the podcast, I had Lance Chowan, who's one of the Award Flight Assist Travel Consultants over at Frequent Fly Solutions. In this episode, I'm joined by James Green, who's another of the Award Flight Assist Consultants. Welcome to the podcast, James. Thanks, Matt. Pleased to be here. And uh, you may recall that the team over at Award Flight Assist are themselves all frequent flyers. And I'm joined by James in the Provence region of France. And at the moment, we're in the city of Arles. What do you think of Arles, James? I like the city. It's a small city, a little bit cheaper to stay in than some of the others. And it's equally sort of between Avignon, Marseille, Nîmes and Montpellier. So quite a handy spot to visit this part of the world. Yeah, I, this is my first time in, in Arles and uh, I was very impressed. They've got the old uh, Roman amphitheatre, you can go and uh, have a look at that. And they've got also the markets on uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays, which uh, you can get pretty much anything, including lots of nice French uh, cheese and meats and things like that. So yeah, it's a, a really lovely part of the world. And James is, as I said, one of the Award Flight Assist travel consultants. And he also, when you are requesting an Award Flight Assist quote, James is the one that looks at the requests and decides whether we can help. And if he believes that we can help, he'll send you a quote. James, could you describe what your role is? Yes, Matt. Well, when the quotes come in, I read through them. And as you said, try and work out whether it's something we can assist with. Of course, we get requests from all sorts of um different frequent flyer programs and people with varying levels of experience so sometimes we get people who are new to the game uh, really don't know what they're doing um, and that's not a criticism because I was like that a few years back myself um, and we look and see if is it possible to do what they want to do and of course we get people who 
have a lot more experience and want a bit of extra assistance in some of the more difficult routings and so on. So it's an interesting job, one that's teaching me a lot as well as being able to assist people in their plans. So James, when a award flight assist customer requests a quote, what are the things you're looking for when you're determining whether we can help them and what are some of the reasons that unfortunately we need to reject some of the quote requests? Well, if I answer the second part first, one of the main reasons we have to reject something is because their flights are more than uh, a year in advance, particularly with people doing you know, a three or four month trip to Europe or the US. The best time to book a, a, an award flight is, of course, you know, 10 to 11 months in advance. We often get them where they'll, uh, the first flight is um, available or about to become available. We, we can't do that when the return flight isn't available for another three or four months. So I look for that, I look to see if they have enough points. And the other thing is, of course, flexibility. You know, if you want to travel on a particular airline on a particular day, that's not really part of the points game. You need to have flexibility in where you want to go. No, sorry, not so much where you want to go, but how you're prepared to get there. The date that you want to go, a few days either side. And flexibility is very important. Yeah, and I often say to people that in the frequent flyer points game, if, if you want to travel on a specific day and a specific flight number and aircraft, the points game is really not for you because we find that most of the time we can get you to where you want to go in, in the class of travel you want to get there, generally speaking. But you need to be a little bit, yeah, a little bit flexible in terms of how you're going to get there. Yeah, I'd just add to that that um, some years ago on one of my own um, multi-city One World Awards, I was trying to get to Helsinki. And the only way I could eventually find to get there was to fly from Prague, which actually had very good availability at the time. I hadn't intended to go to Prague. I had never been there before, but thought, okay, if that's what I have to do, I'll do it. And I actually discovered one of the most beautiful cities in the world. It's now one of my favourites. James, is there anything else that people can do to increase their chances of being able to use their points and also to make it easier in being able to reply to the quote? Yeah, I think the main things are to... Take the time to fill the questionnaire in as thoroughly as you can. I know it can be a bit daunting perhaps, but when it says how many points you have in what frequent flyer program, just saying something like lots or heaps doesn't really help us because what's heaps for one person might be you know, not many for somebody else. So that's very important. Also to give us flexibility, uh, a lot of people will say they want to fly on a certain day and they leave the part about flexibility vacant. That doesn't really help us. And it doesn't help us to help you. I guess the other thing is, if you're mentioning credit card points like Amex, in the past there have been lots of different types of Amex programs, and still is, of course, and some of them you can transfer to some airlines. Only Ascent Premium can be transferred to Qantas, for example. So that might seem like a minor detail when you're filling the questionnaire in, but it can make a big difference to whether we can give you a, a sensible reply as to whether we can help or not. James, you're uh, currently in Europe. Uh, you, you arrived on a One World Award or as part of a One World Award itinerary. And the One World Award, for anyone who's not familiar with it, is one of the best uses of Qantas points because it allows you to travel around the world, although you don't have to travel around the world. And it's it's a fixed number of Qantas points, 140,000 in economy and two. 180,000 points in business class and there's also premium economy and first class uh, variations of that but James could you just uh, tell our listeners what was the itinerary that you booked on this occasion um, using your Qantas points? Well I'm traveling with my wife and who's also an AFF member of course and we started in Manila at the end of our, our trip to India last year. We flew from Manila back to Australia home for a few months and then left beginning of May 
from um, Coffs Harbour to Sydney to Adelaide and then to uh, via Doha into, and I'm just trying to remember where we did fly into, Matt, into Athens, that's correct. We spent a, a month in Greece and then flew from Athens to Geneva via London. And after a couple of months or a couple, six weeks or so here in France, we're heading to Bangkok, Hong Kong and back to Manila and then home. I didn't mention at the start, but uh, James is also an AFF member, quite an active contributor on AFF, and his uh, handle is Jacques Fert. Um, if for anyone who is familiar with his post, that's uh, that's who James is. Now, you started this trip in Manila. You live in Coffs Harbour, so why did you start the trip, or why did you originate the One World Award in Manila? Well, it's a very easy question to answer, Matt, because as you pointed out to me, of maybe 12 months ago or more. In Manila, there is a law that says they can't charge fuel surcharges. So the price of doing the One World Award out of Manila is uh, very much cheaper than starting in Australia. So for this award, if we had started in Australia, and I couldn't actually get the exact same routing, but I estimated that it would be around two and a half to $3,000 in taxes and uh, fuel surcharges for the two of us. And starting in Manila, it was just over $1,000 for tour. So we're about $1,500 to $2,000 in front. Yeah, and those taxes and carrier, or the, the taxes are things like, you know, uh, government charges, airport fees, that kind of thing, which uh, you need to pay when you're redeeming your points. But a lot of airlines, including Qantas, also add on their so-called carrier charges. I had a look at what the actual amounts were a little while ago. And on a flight from Australia to Europe, you're paying for you know, business class or first class, you're paying about $540 in carrier charges per person one way. And it's not a legitimate tax. It just goes straight to Qantas and it's just a way for them to make a bit more money when when someone is redeeming their points. And so the fact that they are outlawed in uh, itineraries originating in Manila is a uh, a handy loophole, I guess you could say. Um, and as you say, the the savings are definitely well worth it. That's true, Matt. And particularly on this award where we're using Qantas, Qatar, British Airways, Royal Jordanian, Cathay, and then Qantas. You know, the ones with probably the highest carrier charges of all. And it still came in just over $500 per person. So a pretty good deal to do it from Manila. Well, of course, you've got to get to Manila first, but that's another question. Well, that was actually my follow-up question. <laughs> How did you get from Coffs Harbour to Manila in order to pick up the itinerary? Well, at the end of our trip to India, we happened to be in that part of the world, coming back from India, trying to get back to Australia. And the only business class flight I could find back to Australia at the time originated in Manila. So it seemed a logical thing to go from Calcutta to Manila, have a couple of days there, and then start the next round-the-world trip. Of course, in, you were in India um, pre previous to your current trip, so I guess that worked out for you quite nicely. And James, you mentioned that when you fly back to Manila at the end of this trip, you're going to be using Royal Jordanian. Uh, was there any particular reason that uh, you're flying with Royal Jordanian, uh, which is, I guess, one of the lesser-known One World Airlines uh, from, I believe, Switzerland over to Bangkok? Yes, that's correct. Well, as anybody who's ever tried to use their points will know, certainly with Qantas points, getting availability is probably the most difficult thing. And Royal Jordanian have excellent availability on, on their flights. They do happen to fly from Zurich and Geneva to Bangkok via Amman, and it was available on the dates we wanted to fly, so that was, and it was actually the only um, logical route that was available. Although from Bangkok we then go to Manila via Hong Kong, so some people might not think that is so logical, but it worked for us, and the availability was there. 
we have flown them once before. They're not a bad airline. Um, so, yeah, it worked. Yeah, Royal Jordanian, they, they have this flight from Amman to Bangkok, and that flight continues uh, four days a week to Hong Kong and three days a week to Kuala Lumpur. Uh, and, yeah, there's always availability, although it doesn't always appear uh, on the Qantas website unless you specifically search or you break up the search into um, with, with a stop in Amman. The Qantas website is, is not the best at finding those kind of left-field itineraries. Now, James, for the benefit of uh, listeners who may not be familiar with the One World Award, could you just explain to us what are the rules of the One World Award? Certainly. Uh, obviously, there's quite a few rules, but the basic ones, uh, first of all, you don't have to fly around the world. A number of the requests we get on award flight assist, people ask for itineraries going around the world. When I look at them, I often wonder whether they really want to go all the way around the world or they just think they have to. Of course, we try and work with them on that. But you don't have to go around the world. You just have to stay under 35,000 miles, and that's miles, not kilometres. Uh, backtracking is allowed, unlike with some of the other programs. You get five stopovers of 24 hours or more, and other than that, you can have theoretically unlimited transits of less than 24 hours. But of course, you have only 16 flights, so depending on how many stopovers you have, that affects how many transits you can, you can get out of your 16 flights. The other rule, which is important perhaps in some itineraries, is that you're allowed one stopover and two transits for each city. So you can stop on one occasion for more than 24 hours, and you can go through that same city on a less than 24-hour transit. And that can be quite handy at times when you've got to go through hubs. Although occasionally some airlines will resist allowing you to do that. I guess the other thing is changes and cancellations. If you want to change the award once you've booked it, you can only do that by ringing up, which can be uh, a challenge in itself. People without status may have to wait quite a long time before their phone's even answered. But before you take your first flight, it's a 5,000 point per person change fee and they recalculate the taxes. Now that can actually work in your favour because I have had the situation where I've had a very significant refund of the taxes. I couldn't work out how I could get so much money back by just changing one flight, but of course I didn't argue with that. Quite happy to accept the, the money. I think one of the things that people do need to keep in mind is that after you take your first flight, the only thing you can change is the day and time of your flight. You have to find award availability on the same airline, in the same class, and on exactly the same route. So if you decide to change a flight, for example, from London to Madrid, probably no problem at all. You can change that fairly easily. But if you have a route like the one that we did to get here, Adelaide, Doha, Athens, and you need to change that to a different time, you have to find that exact same itinerary again. Uh, same class, same airline. So that can be difficult. Cancellation is 6,000 points per person, but you do get your taxes refunded. That's provided you haven't taken your first flight. After your first flight, it's completely, almost the exact opposite. You get all your um, unused taxes back, so for any flights you haven't taken, the taxes will be refunded, but you don't get any refunded points. Apart from that, the other one is, of course, you must stick with One World Airlines. So you can't use Emirates, can't use China Eastern, uh, Fiji Airways, and any of the other Qantas partners that aren't part of the One World Alliance. And uh, when you consider that it costs, assuming you can find availability on Qantas or Emirates, it's what, 128,000 points one way or 256,000 points return to fly business class from Australia to London or to New York. 
the One World Award in business class is 280,000 points. And you can, you don't have to, as James said, but you can travel around the world. You get five stopovers and you can fly on any One World Airlines. It's uh, not that much more expensive. And if you're flying over um, to Europe, for example, on Cathay Pacific, that's normally going to cost 278,000 Qantas points. Uh, so for 2,000 points more, you can f- get much, much more value. And this is why for sure it's one of the best value uses of Qantas points if you can uh, find the availability and if you're able to book it. Yeah, that's right, Matt. And I think the point there is that if you're going to have add one extra flight, such as um, if you want to fly into London and fly out of Rome, then the One World Award is the way to go because that extra flight uh, you'll get for basically the same number of points. In fact... Once you add that extra flight into the One World Award, it's cheaper on points to do that than add, you know, taking a separate flight. And as you say, you can add another 10, 12 flights in there and it's not a problem. That's right. And uh, there was one other rule that I think is important, and that's the fact that you need to fly at least two One World Airlines other than Qantas. There's no requirement to actually fly Qantas at all as part of the One World Award, although you can. It is a One World Airline. But just in order for the routing to be valid, there does need to be at least two One World Airlines in there. So, for example, if you're flying to Europe, in the example you just gave, um, maybe you're flying from Sydney to London on Cathay Pacific and then from Rome back to Sydney on Cathay Pacific. In order for this to be a valid One World Award, um, you need to have a second airline in there. So you could add, for example, a British Airways flight from London to Rome in the middle of your trip, and then it's totally valid itinerary. And James... If uh, someone has found availability on each of the flights they they want to take, how can they actually book a One World Award using their Qantas points? Well, by far the best way, in my opinion, is to do it online. If you can get it to validate online and pay, then you're uh, set. Some of the more complex itineraries, the One World, sorry, the Qantas website will have a heart attack, and when you get to the last page, it will refuse to give you a price. At that point, most people would ring up, but I've found that if you actually switch to using a different browser, such as Chrome rather than Microsoft Explorer or whatever, sometimes it will actually work on the other browser, and you can book it, pay for it, and so on. If you have to ring up, you can be lucky and get a good agent who actually understands this award, or you can be unlucky and get someone who has no idea what they're talking about. And that's not a criticism of the person per se, but they may be new, they may not have been given sufficient training and so on. I've had that on a couple of occasions. I had one agent one time and quite frankly was absolutely hopeless. Eight major mistakes that I listed at the time, but I'll just give you two of them. Uh, she told me that if I was stopping in Bangkok and I flew in in the morning and flew out three hours later, that was actually counted as a stopover. Obviously not. And she also told me that there was no backtracking, so they had to continue one going in the same east or west direction. Uh, at that point, I kind of realised that she probably worked for a different airline on, a, on occasions and on a previous life and yeah everything she told me was completely wrong so that's where the Huaka process comes in you just hang up and call again hopefully you'll get a better agent the following time so yeah for when you're doing the booking online uh, don't click on the round the world point it's um, that's for a paid uh, revenue fare what you want for the award seat is to go onto the Qantas website click on the multi-city tool and then fill in the departure and um, arrival cities. It can be very tedious, particularly when you get three quarters of the way through your your planned trip and there's no availability and you have to change something. You have to go all the way back to the start and do it all again. So it can be very time consuming. But if you can get it to work online, you get a good ticket, 
you don't have the problems with agents arguing that you have to count both ends of a, um, a surface sector as a stopover, which is not correct, and a whole lot of other misconceptions that some of the uh, less experienced agents will try and tell you. And as part of the One World Award, are you allowed to use a surface segment? And so you mentioned that that only counts as one stopover. Could you just explain the, the rules there with open jaws or surface segments as part of this award? The rules say that if you fly into one city and depart from another, you have to count the miles between those cities as part of your 35,000 miles, but it's one stopover. And generally, it's a well, it should be considered to be a stopover in the city that you land in. However, if you trying to do it on the phone you will get some agents who will argue that that's actually two stopovers one in the city that you uh, land in and a stopover another stopover in the city that you depart from Uh, so when you only have five stopovers that severely limits what you can do with the award do you have to return to the same city in which you started Uh, no you don't but you do have to count the miles from your uh, last point back to your original uh, starting point and uh, so this, this award, uh, I mean, most commonly it will be booked in economy for 140,000 Qantas points or business class for 280,000 Qantas points. But um, it is also possible to book it in premium economy, which costs um, halfway in between that, 210,000 Qantas points. And a first class option is also available for 420,000 Qantas points per passenger. Now, is it actually possible or um, is it realistic um, to be able to book one of these in premium economy or first class or are there a few limitations there? Well, theoretically it's possible, but it is not so easy because um, not all airlines have first class and not all airlines have a premium economy cabin. So depending on where you're going and the routing that you want to do, it may or may not work. I think with first class, if you're just doing the the major cities, perhaps like Sydney, Los Angeles, New York, London, and so on, you might be able to get available in first class, especially if you're only looking for one seat. But you can only do that with airlines that have a first class cabin, of course. Same with premium economy. There are only some a certain number of airlines uh, that have that. Theoretically, you can do it. But you'll probably find if you're doing a first-class ticket, you'll be in business on some legs. And if you're doing a um, premium economy ticket, you'll find yourself on economy on some of them. So it does limit what you can do. And I found that when people are trying to book an award in first class or premium economy, they're restricted to the airlines and routes where those cabins are actually available. And I find that it means that you're you're planning the trip around which airlines have first-class availability rather than where do you actually want to go, which is... I guess a bit of a shame because the the award does allow you to go to some some all over the world really to some wonderful places. But uh, if you're restricting yourself to routings with first class availability, you just it is as you say quite uh, restrictive. And James, which airlines actually do have a premium economy cabin and a first class cabin? Just for anyone who is um, interested though in uh, in booking that. Yeah, sure, Matt. So um, in the One World Alliance airlines in premium economy, you're looking at uh, Qantas, of course. Cathay Pacific, Japan Airlines, uh, British Airways, Iberia, American Airlines, and LATAM does have it on their international uh, short haul. The on the A320s, where it's rather than call it business class and claim it to be business class, perhaps being a bit honest and saying, well, it's it doesn't really stack up, so we'll call it premium economy. Um, for first class, you're looking at. Um, American Airlines, British Airways, Cathay again, Cathay Dragon of all things, Japan Airlines, Malaysian of course, uh, Qantas, 
and Keta. It's an interesting comment there about LATAM uh, and their premium economy cabin on the A320s. LATAM's uh, premium economy cabin, I, I have flown it from Santiago to Lima. It's basically just like intra-Europe business class where you get, it's basically an economy seat, but you get a blocked middle seat. Um, you get a you know better meal and better personalized service. And there's a curtain behind the the premium economy, and I say premium economy in inverted quotes, um, and uh, and the business, uh, sorry, and the economy cabin behind it. But it's basically exactly the same as what you get when you're flying on British Airways short haul business class, or actually any airline within Europe, um, except they market it as business class, which is, well, it's it's generous, uh, <laughs> I, w- I would say. Now, James, you mentioned that it's easier to book this, uh, especially in first class, but although I would say it also applies to every other class, um, if you're only trying to book for one person, a lot of the um, requests we get over at Award Flight Assist are for two people, which is completely fair. But do you think that it's easy to book one of these if maybe you're trying to uh, take your whole family on a round-the-world trip, you know, if you've got four, five, or maybe even six passengers? Is this something that is realistic? Uh, On a one-world award, I'd say probably not. Maybe in a very quiet time of the year, you might get three or four. And we have actually managed to do that for people on time, at times. Uh, but what we do get, of course, is that if it's three or four or five, being a family, is usually they're wanting to travel during school holidays. You'd have to be very lucky. It's almost like winning the lottery to get five business class seats on one of these awards at um, school holiday time or Christmas and New Year. Yeah, so the other thing that's interesting is that if you're taking your family and the child is two years old or older, there is no uh, 50% discount on the number of points that it costs you for a seat. So it's 280,000 points in business class for the child. So if you've got three kids, two adults, you're looking at well over a million points to do one of these awards. But of course, infants under two are free. They have to sit on your lap or in the bassinet if you can uh, find a a bassinet seat. But, yeah, it's very difficult to get that many um, seats in business class, premium economy, etc. But you could be able to do it in in economy. Much more chance of doing it in economy. Uh, For obvious reasons, there's many more economy seats on a plane than there are business or first class. When's the best time to book one of these awards? Well, the best availability is booking in advance. It also gives you the opportunity, if you don't see what you want, you can perhaps wait a while to see if it does become available. But, you know, 10 to 11 months works best because some airlines open their seats at 360 days, some 330. If you don't have gold or platinum status or platinum one above with Qantas, and you're trying to book on a Qantas-operated flight, you can only book it at 297 days. You know, so bronze and silver members, 297 days out. By which time, most of the business class seats will already be gone to other people. It's not impossible. I did manage once as a silver member to get two business class seats from Sydney to Santiago in South America. Almost impossible, but it did happen once, so it can be done. But generally speaking, it's not going to work. So... The time there is, uh, as I say, around about 10 to 11 months where most of the airlines will have opened up their seats for availability and you have a chance of of booking them. If you try to book too early, you're just not going to be able to have the range of airlines that have released their seats. Uh, Qatar releases their seats early and so do China Eastern, but of course you can't use China Eastern in a One World Award, so you're very limited if you're booking 
too early, but you don't want to leave it too late either. It's a fine line that you have to toe. And James, do you have any other tips for someone looking to book a One World Award using their Qantas points? Yeah, well, one of the things I've been able to do is to actually get two, and in one occasion, three overseas trips out of the One Award. So for the people who are time limited because of work, this is something to consider. Uh, for example, we flew to Japan, had a month in Japan, came back on a separate uh, economy booking, and a couple of months later then flew to China and Europe, or I should say to Europe via China, and then came back via South Africa. So obviously you can't come back, to, if you start in Australia, you can't come back to Australia because that's the end of the award, but you can fly back to Singapore or or somewhere like that, or Indonesia, and get a cheap a cheap flight from there back home. Then fly back to that same city and start and continue on for another overseas trip, provided of course you finish the whole award within 12 months. Now, giving the booking window, it effectively is about 10 and a half months you have to play with, but you can get the value out of it by using this award to do two overseas trips. Of course, you could also start the trip in somewhere like New Zealand, then stop over in Australia in the middle and end up in New Zealand, as long as you're not transiting via Australia, you know, to get to or from New Zealand at the start or the end. And and, uh, I know a few people who have done that successfully. Now, James, to wrap up the interview, um, I would like to ask you a few sort of quick fire questions to get to know you a little bit better. And the first one of those is, uh, what's your favourite airline to fly with? Oh, definitely Qatar. Why is that? Well, I've had about five flights with them now. Uh, the service on board is great. The airlines are, are excellent. People will be all talking about the Q suites. I haven't actually managed to get one of those yet, but their former business class seat, which is on, or suite, which is on the um, existing airlines, it's excellent. I would even say that one of the best flights I've had was on a Qatar A320, and I thought, found the, the seat and the service to be superb. So by far my favourite airline. Did you get a life flat business class seat on the A320? Because that's not very common. No, but it was a very nice recliner. If I, I can't actually remember it was life flat, but I don't think so. I think it was still angled, but it was a you know four or five hour day flight and it was superbly adequate for, for the length of the flight. And do you have a favourite frequent flyer program, James? Well, if you'd asked me that question a few years ago, I would have said Qantas. Uh, because I've managed to get some good value. I've had about four or five multi-city awards over the years, but unfortunately the availability is becoming more and more difficult. They've enhanced it a number of times, as everybody knows, and um, I'm saving my Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer miles now. I don't have enough to um, to do my next flight, so but I, I'm in the position where I do have enough points with Qantas still, which I've got to use up. I never thought I'd say this, but... I'm in the unfortunate position of having enough Qantas points to go around the world or do another One World Classic multi-city award. And I can't wait to use them up and then to switch. And James, do you have a favourite travel destination? Yeah, it's an interesting question. There's so many nice places. I like coming to Europe and France is my favourite country in Europe, although there's some, a number of other nice ones. If, if I go to Asia, definitely Japan. I've had some wonderful experiences in Japan and also like Namibia in, in Africa. And do you have a favourite credit card? Uh, favourite credit card? Well, it certainly was the Amex Platinum Edge, although it's been enhanced to the point where I cancelled it recently. At the moment, I think it's probably, for domestic spend, the St George Amplify signature. And when I'm overseas, the Coles MasterCard, because it doesn't have any um, over, uh, foreign transaction fees on it. 
And you can also earn uh, flybys points, which convert to velocity points on that Coles MasterCard, right? That's correct. But for me, I'll be then transferring those velocity points to Singapore Airlines' Chris Flyer. Excellent choice of uh, program there with uh, with Chris Flyer. And uh, James, what's the best airline or frequent flyer program promotion that you've ever been able to take advantage of? I think the best one I came across was thanks to another AFF member who put me onto it last year was Qantas put out a double status credits offer and the very next day they also put out a 50% discount on flights to Numea. So for I think it was $1,345 we did eight business class flights, went from Adelaide to Brisbane to Melbourne to Sydney to Numea and return, averaged out at about $187 per flight in business class and we earned 880 status credits for that um, $1,300. That's um, put you on back back to platinum status, I believe, with Qantas. Yes, it did. And, well, that flight alone didn't, but with a few other flights in that same year, put me back to platinum. Plus, my uh, my wife also hit platinum for the first time, that, thanks to that little um, promotion. And... We had a great time as well, which is even better because we didn't just go to Numea and turn around and come straight back. We spent a week there, had a great time. I'm glad you actually spent some time in Numea because I know that that Numea status run has been a popular one over the last couple of years. I think Qantas has, uh, to, use a, to use a word you've said a couple of times, enhanced um, that Numea one, uh, run already. But I know a few people did that just by flying to Numea and then turning back around on exactly the same aircraft, which to me seems like a little bit of a waste if you're going there anyway, but... Anyway, it's worked for some people. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Matt. I'm, I'm not into the pure status run normally, but if there's an opportunity to do that and visit a place that I'd, I'd like to go, that seems like a good value. Absolutely. And James, finally, what's your number one tip for travellers? I would say make sure you have a good travel insurance policy. Make sure you investigate it thoroughly. When you travel, you hope you're never going to have to use your travel insurance, but I have had to use it on a couple of occasions and um, yeah as they say never leave home without that because if you can't afford to buy a travel insurance policy you can't afford to travel. Excellent advice and thanks a lot James for coming on the podcast. Uh, James as I said is uh, an award travel consultant over at Frequent Fly Solution and he's also an active AFF member by the handle of Jacques Fert. You may have uh, seen some of his posts now, if you'd like any more information about the One World Award, there is a link to um, an AFF article in the episode notes for this ep- uh, for the podcast, and you can have a read of all of the rules and uh, find some more information about the One World Award. James, thank you very much for coming on the podcast once again. It's been a pleasure, Matt, and it's nice to be catching up with you in France. I hope you found that interview interesting. And this fortnight, I'd like to get to a listener question and this one comes from Mike Barouche. It was asked on the AFF On Air discussion thread. And the question says, thanks for producing a great podcast. I look forward to listening to episodes as soon as they're released. Thank you so much, Mike. My question relates to redeeming with Alaska Air. I've been curious about Alaska after hearing a podcast, seeing that it's possible to buy miles on sale and with bonuses. And importantly, because they fly to the USA. Every time I look, though, in business class, there's only mixed cabin options available in business or first, with the international leg between Australia and the US always in economy, which defeats the purpose of trying to score business. Fair enough. Um, And he asks, have you ever seen a business class seat available when redeeming with Alaska and any tips to find one? 
Yeah, it's very difficult to uh, redeem points with any frequent flyer program to get to the United States. Uh, that's one of the most in-demand routes in uh, premium cabins for frequent flyers, and their seats are, uh, frankly, they are quite limited. And with Alaska, yeah, it's no exception. It is very hard, but it can be done. So to answer your question, yes, I have seen business and even occasionally first-class award seats available to the U.S. through the Alaskan Mileage Plan Program. Now, with Alaska Airlines... To get from Australia to the USA, they have six partners that you are able to use uh, your points to fly with, or the mileage plan miles, rather. There's American Airlines, Cathay Pacific, Emirates, Fiji Airways, Korean Air, and Qantas. But of these, only a few are really useful. So with American Airlines, they pretty much never release any premium award seats to Australia, so that's pretty much struck out. Emirates is super, super expensive. You might occasionally be able to get availability in premium cabins via Dubai, but the number of miles required is very high. Uh, so it doesn't really make sense, especially if you've got Qantas points, which you can use to book that anyway. Uh, Cathay Pacific, yeah, Cathay also is uh, lately releasing very, very few award seats to Alaska Airlines mileage plan members. I mean, availability on Cathay Pacific, even if you're using Asia miles or Qantas points, is pretty poor, but even fewer seats are made available to Alaskan members. That said, I have seen people make successful bookings in the past using Alaskan miles to fly Cathay Pacific between Australia and the US, but it's not easy. Keep in mind that you do need to call up Alaska Airlines to book any flights on Cathay Pacific. The Cathay flights don't appear on the Alaskan website. And the bookings that I have seen successfully made uh, with Cathay Pacific have been from secondary Australian cities like Adelaide and Perth rather than Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, no offence to Adelaide and Perth, but um, yeah, the availability from there is a little bit better in my experience. And uh, it also might help if you're trying to fly into a less common airport in the US, such as Seattle, rather than you know the likes of New York and Los Angeles. Fiji Airways is another one. They do sometimes have seats available via Nadi to Los Angeles and San Francisco. So this is something that you might look for, that you can occasionally get business availability. Qantas is uh, another one, though, that does release very few seats. It is possible to find Qantas availability using Alaskan miles, but it's really like finding a needle in a haystack. You would need to be very lucky to find business or first class. That said, premium economy availability can be okay on some routes, such as to San Francisco. Uh, in my opinion, if you live in Sydney or Brisbane, though, the most useful Alaskan partner to get to the US is Korean Air. It only really makes sense to book Korean Air if you were doing a return trip because it's the same number of miles to fly one way as it is to fly return. But Korean Air has pretty good business class availability out of Sydney and Brisbane to many cities in the US via uh, Seoul, via Korea, of course. And open jaws are allowed. So you could, for example, fly into Atlanta and then return home from Boston. Now, with Korean Air, regardless of whether you book one way or return, it's the same number of miles, 85,000 in economy or 125,000 miles in business. And so obviously business class is the way to go there if you're redeeming miles. But yeah, unfortunately, the lack of availability to the USA is a challenge with every frequent flyer program. So if you're aiming to use your points to fly to the US, that is something that is quite difficult to do in general. Um, that said, it is possible. You just need to be flexible and have quite a lot of luck. I hope that helps, Mike. Please, uh, to our other listeners, please keep sending in your questions and I will get to more questions in future episodes of the podcast. Now, before I wrap up, I just wanted to acknowledge some of the feedback uh, we've been getting on AFF on the AFF on Air discussion thread 
and on Apple Podcasts and just give a few shout outs quickly. Uh, firstly to Golden Horn who uh, has left a comment on the AFF on air discussion thread and he says, hey Matt, loving the podcast. Thank you so much. I was listening to the podcast traveling from Houston to Phoenix, then Chicago and back to Houston makes the time go very quickly and such great to get into. I just listened to episode 12 and love the interview. The info you provide is top notch and I love the, the combination of latest news and offers then an in-depth interview. Tips from the frequent flyers have been very inspiring and got me thinking about lots of future travel I want to do. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Golden Horn. I appreciate that, and I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. And yeah, it's nice to see people listening to the podcast while they're flying. It's uh, very appropriate, obviously, for this podcast. Also on the AFF on air discussion thread, Daft 009 says, "Excellent interview with John." He's referring, obviously, to the interview with JB747. There, I was actually listening with such concentration on a recent flight in business class to Singapore that the flight attendant saw my face and asked me if I was okay. Oh, wow. What can I say? Glad you enjoyed the interview. And I wanted to also acknowledge a couple of the reviews we've been getting on Apple Podcasts. We got a review from, I hope I'm saying this correctly, Cruz, K-R-R-S, on Apple Podcasts. And it says, it's an excellent supplement to the Australian Frequent Flyer with highly knowledgeable persons delivering great insights into the aviation sector from the Australian context. Now, when you say highly knowledgeable person, I assume you're talking about my guests, but uh, nonetheless, thank you very, very much for that. And one more review we got on Apple Podcasts from Matt Moffat, and it says, very informative podcast, topics are interesting, news is timely, host is warm and accessible, well done. Once again, thank you so much for that. And thanks to everyone that has been leaving reviews and comments. Please do keep the reviews coming, and we do read all of them, and we really, really appreciate the feedback. And that's it for another episode of AFF On Air. Thank you once again so much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes or visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back, as always, next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, happy flying.